morning, church. Church family. Uh, we're going to be continuing in Joel chapter 2, so if you want to just go ahead and open up to Joel chapter 2, if you're wondering where it is, you look in the Old Testament, big chunk of it is Job and Psalm, you got the major prophets and the minor prophets, so Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. So um, we're going to be continuing in Joel, uh, Joel chapter 1, we, before we start, we'll talk about what we went over uh, last Sunday, Tim preached, and we talked about, in Joel 1, uh, this plague of locusts, this call to lament, uh, and turn and look to God. As Tim put it, it was disaster is a wake-up call. So, we're going to see similar themes to start Joel 2, as we dive into Joel chapter 2. Uh, there's going to be three different sections that we're going to categorize this into. We're going to look big picture at chapter, and uh, we're going to look at the heart of it in the middle. Um, the theme that's repeated frequently, that was repeated in Joel 1 as well, was this day of the Lord. Um, and it finishes with this coming day of the Lord, we see. It's kind of the theme. It's often repeated, and you look at it, it's kind of the shell of it. Um, but the heart of it, that's what we're going to talk about. An example of what I mean by the shell, if you, if you were to look at me and you were to think, what's the shell of Ian? You might see that I'm, I'm a man. You might see that I am a Christian, or at least hopefully I would be if Tim invited me to come preach. Uh, but yes, I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. If you know me a little bit, you know that I am a husband to Mallory, I have two beautiful girls. I'm a father. Um, I serve as a deacon um, and teach as well. I'm also a worker. That, those are the, the ways, the shell of who I am. But you see the heart of who I am. The heart of who I am is I'm a child of God. I am a sinner saved by grace. I want to be a humble servant to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that bleeds into, that leads me to be in the way that I'm going to be a husband or a father or a worker that motivates me. So enough about me. Let's talk about what the heart of this chapter is, what the day of the Lord that was happening, and what it's, what it's bringing us to. Let's go ahead and uh, dig into what the word of the Lord has for us today. If you can, would you please stand in the honor of reading God's word? I'm going to be skipping around a little bit, so we're, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8, and then together, if we could, we could read 12 through 14. It's going to be up on the screen. And then I'm going to finish out with 28 through 32. So starting in Joel chapter 2, verse 1, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Joel is painting a very vivid picture here. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run 
As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale like warriors. They charge like soldiers. They scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. Let's skip ahead to verses 12 through 14. And I'll read it together. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind them, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. And I will finish up with verses 28 through 32. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. So let's take a look at these three sections. You can even hear it as we were, as we were talking. There were three different sections. And what would a good Baptist sermon be if I didn't use three different words that all started with the same letter? So... I mean, I had to do it. So the words, the first, we're going to start with calamity. This day of the Lord that they're speaking about at the first part. The second word is going to be contriteness or repentance. Um, That's the heart of the chapter. True and real repentance is what they're led to. And the third one is coming. A coming day of the Lord where God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we're going to start with The first C, calamity. We see a day of the Lord, like we've talked about, referred to in this chapter. It's referred to in chapter 1. It it starts with verse 1 and even into verse 11. This day of the Lord that is depicted, it's a day of warfare because of an invading army. In chapter 1, we talked about the locust army, but this even brings it up a notch the way they talk about this, the way it's described, the vivid picture of this apocalyptic army. Nowhere is safe. There's devastation. The army is resilient. I know that some of you have, uh, but show of hands, how many people have read the books or seen the movies, Lord of the Rings? It's a lot. It's a lot of people. It's it's a wonderful story. J.R. Tolkien uh, really brings all these characters of Middle Earth to life. There are so many interesting characters that they talked about there. Um, some of them were pretty gross, though, right? Like the orcs, those, they were just awful. Like, but 
in these, in these um, stories, they have these very vivid um, armies that are lining up, these battle scenes where there's just soldier after soldier, the ar- army of Mordor, and they're preparing for battle, and they're just coming. They continue to keep coming, person after person, creature after creature. And that's kind of the, the imagery that, that comes to my mind when I read these verses. Joel 2 starts with a lot of sounds and darkness. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in verse 1. A day of darkness and gloom. Rumbling of chariots, crackling of fire. We see here utter utter devastation happening not only to the land, but to the inhabitants, to all the people. So when you read stuff like this, the question that comes to your mind is, what is God doing? What's, what's God doing here? Uh, while we, we while, while the scholars as well, are uncertain about the time and place, like Tim talked about, pre-exile, post-exile, um, and sometimes even debate whether the locusts were to be taken literally, we are certain what God is doing here, though. God is using calamity and devastation to turn his people back to him. This is a time when God supernaturally intervenes in the course of human history, pouring out his righteous judgment on sinners. And we look forward, we see a call to turn or return to the Lord. The depth of God's commitment to his covenant people was such that he might need to take difficult measures in his dealings with them. And we see it frequently in the Old Testament. Uh, Christians today... Um, we can often dismiss this aspect of God's dealing with his people. It's, it makes us uncomfortable. It's something that we don't like. We don't like to read that often. Sometimes people would even just read the New Testament, right? Uh, because it's difficult to read these kind of things. Uh, side note, there's a quote by Tim Keller that says, if your God never disagrees with you, then you might be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. So if you're reading the Bible and it fits perfectly you know, into it. That's not, that's not how it's going to be, into our modern way of thinking. We, I don't know what God knows, and I trust in him. So, we, we can often think of the God of the Old Testament, and we hear stuff like this, we think of him differently than Jesus of the New Testament. They're not different, though. They are one and the same. Jesus saves and he loved us enough to die for us, but who was it that sent Jesus to die for us? We can, uh, let's not forget though that it is Jesus who evaluates and challenges the churches in the opening books, opening chapters of Revelation. Jesus is coming for our final judgment. He is. So, We mistakenly think that the God of the Old Testament is only judgment and the God of the New Testament, Jesus of the New Testament, is full of grace and mercy. God is full of grace and mercy and judgment. And so is Jesus. They're in the Trinity together. In this wrong is right and right is wrong culture that we live in, some people might want to admire the goodness of Jesus at time, but they don't, they don't want the judgment. So what, is that, what does that bring us to? What does this lead us to? We see our next point. We see 
contriteness, contrition. We see a call to repentance. Let's read again some of these verses because they're chock full of stuff that I want to dive into. Starting at verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Not just your garments is what it's saying. So to rend your garments would be an act of tearing your garments. It's a ritual often associated with mourning. You see it a lot in the Old Testament. So God doesn't just want the outward display, the outward appearance of grief and mourning. He wants an inward change. He doesn't want false displays of repentance, which Judah was guilty of. God doesn't just want you to do the right thing. God wants you to want to do the right thing. He wants your heart. It's like people that you might see that give money and they're charitable, but they you know, post about it on social media and they have to let everybody know. Who gets the glory then? The person that's sharing it, right? It's a heart change. He wants, he wants your heart. It's shades of new covenant living here. So Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. I say that if you're angry, angry with a brother, Jesus said you should not, or you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say, looking at lust with somebody is a sin. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy is what they say. I say, love your neighbor and pray for those who persecute you. See, the difference here is not just following the letter of the law, but it's a heart change. Not to be angry or lustful or hate. Those are things, that's sin that shows up in our heart. It's not just that. Ritual is not enough. There must be a profound and genuine response. We're talking about repentance, true repentance. The word repentance in the Bible means the act of changing one's mind. True biblical repentance goes beyond remorse or regret or feeling bad about one's sin. It involves more than merely turning away from sin. It involves turning to God. People don't like judgment, do they? Typically, no, we don't. We are aware of our need for repentance, but we often shudder at judgment. It's something that can make us uncomfortable. Uh, We can take the Bible out of context, believers and non-believers alike. We think of Sodom and Gomorrah, Noah and the flood. Uh, We see judgment parts of Scripture, and it it kind of bothers us in a way. Never mind the fact that we are rebellious people, and we always have been. We were rebels in the garden. Israel rebelled against God time and time again. Look at Look at our history. Look back at it. We constantly rebel against God. And if we look in the Bible, the number of times that God has been patient and gracious, it's it's too many to count. Let's not forget about God's mercy when we read about God's judgment. So if you know me or you've heard me teach Um, This is directed a lot of times to my youth and young adults. You would know that I include one C.S. Lewis quote per teaching. 
So true to form, let's hear what the great thinker, theologian, and writer Clive Staples had to say about our fallen nature. He said, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. God's people are rebellious to him. We are. And we're called to lay down our arms and come back to him. The message, that message is as true then as it is now. The question is, when do we need repentance and who needs it? That's, that's pretty, pretty simple. We all need repentance, and we need it often, right? You might say something like, what if I'm already, what if my eyes are on God? And that's good, that's good, that's, that's the correct, correct thing. But how long is that going to stay that way? How long until you, you leave here and you uh, join the traffic of North County and you get frustrated? You know. Um, <laughs> You know, how long until you start to focus on something else? You, you look at that idol. You, you focus on something other than God. It makes me think of the song, Come Thou Fount. It's a beautiful song. The lyrics say, Let thy goodness like a fetter bind thy wandering heart to thee. Wandering heart to thee. Anyone know what a fetter is? It's not a word that's used much anymore. A fetter is a chain. You know those, I kind of think, it kind of makes me think of like old time like movies, uh, prisoners and inmates, they're chained at the feet, which if you had seen the news recently where the guy had jumped over and tackled the judge, maybe he could have used a fetter. But that's a side note. Uh, um, so, <laughs> let your goodness be chained to me is what it's saying. Why would it need to be chained? Because of my wandering heart. Because I am prone to wander. I am weak. I am prone to focus on many other things. To lose sight of God and his goodness. I am needy. I need him. I constantly need repentance because I constantly need to turn away from my ways or the world's ways. And I need to turn towards God and his ways. I don't know if you guys know this, but I am a sinner. Hi, my name is Ian. I'm a sinner. <laughs> when I speak ill of my fellow image bearer, when I slander or talk bad about somebody, Christians don't do that, do we? No, no I, need, I need repentance. When I look at my friend's house and I, and I covet his possessions and his awesome pool and his, and his backyard with his acres of land and I look at the front of his house and I get porch envy, I need, I need repentance. I do. I love my kids so much. I'm crazy about them. But when I let my anger get the best of me, and I do, because I politely ask three times for them to put their shoes on because we need to leave and they don't listen and I feel like I'm taking crazy pills and I lose my cool. I need repentance. When I focus on anything too much and take my eyes off of God, I need repentance. I need it every, every day. So this message is, is for the believer but it's also for the non-believer. If you're here and you have not accepted as you have not accepted Jesus 
as your Lord and Savior, if you are not aware of your depravity, if you don't believe that Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for you, if you are not aware that you are dead in your sin without the saving knowledge of Jesus and you need to turn away from your ways and turn towards Jesus, then you, you need this message as well. Continuing on, verse 13 says, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Does that sound familiar to anybody? If you've read the Old Testament, it might. It very well might. In Exodus 34, 6, the Lord speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We see it in Exodus. We see it in Numbers, in Nehemiah, and and also in Psalms. And if I've learned anything from studying the Bible, when something is repeated, it's important. So these, this description, he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Those are characteristics of God. That's important for us. So following, following these calls to turn to the Lord and speaking of these characteristics of God, Joel then almost, he demonstrates an almost humble hope in verse 14 when he says, who knows whether he will not turn and relent. There's a hope in those words. He's hoping that God will relent and leave a blessing. At the same time, it's a strong reminder that we cannot presume on God. Human repentance does not control God. Let me say that again. Human repentance does not control God. We don't do that. Only God is in control. So our final point, repentance points us to, directs us to this future day of the Lord where Jesus is coming. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 28 says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You look closely, you see that term afterward, like an anticipation of this new era. There's no specific time frame given here. That's because the people that they were writing to, and even us who's reading it today, we do not need to know the time and place when Jesus is returning. Like it says in Matthew 24, 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. That is not the important thing. The time and date is not the important part. The important thing is to be ready. The important thing is to be aware of what God is saying and to respond accordingly. The day will come when we will all account for our wrongs. We want Jesus, right? We want our sins covered. That's the important thing. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, the verse says, which, by the way, is a big deal in the Old Testament. Normally in the Old Testament, the spirit 
he, he works with specific people, specific times for specific purposes. The Spirit was on Joshua. The Spirit clothed Gideon. The Spirit began to stir in Samson. The Spirit came upon Saul and he prophesied. The Holy Spirit enters Ezekiel. Those are just a few of the examples of the Spirit coming on these specific people at specific times. But now we see through Joel that the Lord is indicating that a new era will dawn when the Spirit is to be poured out on all flesh. So the big question that people might ask or when they hear this, when they read this, it might sound familiar. It might sound like it's referenced in the day of Pentecost in Acts. And it is. It is referenced in Acts. But we also see that it's not necessarily a complete fulfillment. In Acts 2.17, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter changes the phrase after this in Joel 2.28 to in the last days. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Underscoring the fact that his reference to Joel was not necessarily being fulfilled completely in his day, but was to point to a future time of tribulation. Joel describes the activity of God's Spirit at work in events surrounding a yet future second coming of Christ. Thus, Peter shows us the similarity between the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit will do in the future, and what he was doing almost 2,000 years ago. We see that when people come to Peter and they ask the question, they come to them and say, what should we do? What does Peter say? Peter says, repent and be baptized, right? We see in Joel the response to what they should do in the face of calamity or disaster, in the face of this coming day of the Lord. Verse 32 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The response is, in essence, the same. Call on the name of the Lord. Turn to God, repent, and be saved. And that message is as true in Joel as it was in Acts, as it is today. So we see this powerful imagery in Joel, right? We see it, this powerful imagery of these locusts and this army, and we see this calamity, this destruction, devastation. And we sit on the other side of the cross, and we see things differently than the Israelites did, right? They were anxiously awaiting their messianic king that they had prophesied about, that they had heard about, and we live in the aftermath of the King of Kings. We celebrate the birth around Christmas time, just got done doing it. The, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We have all the Gospels and all the different accounts of his life, but I have a question, a, a prompt, a challenge, I guess. Are we anticipating Jesus coming back? There's an old saying that I don't hear much anymore, but it applies. It was used when a child was doing something they probably shouldn't be doing, and it might be said by 
your grandma or like your mom or like a great aunt or something. They might say something like, is this where you want to be when Jesus comes back? But, uh, but honestly, that's, that's a good question. Jesus could come back at any minute now. In the light of these prophecies in this coming day of the Lord, what is your faith in? What do you have your faith in? You may be sitting here and you've come to church your whole life. You are an avid church attender. But has it changed you? Has it transformed you? Are you ready to meet Jesus today? You might be sitting here and you haven't been going to church your whole life. You might be just like I was as a young man, fresh out of high school, get into college, don't know exactly what you believe anymore. But you know what? You heard this message. You might have felt something stirring inside of you. And hopefully you did. What are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? Repentance is a message we all need. We are all broken in need of a Savior. I need Jesus as much today as I did every other day. Wherever you are right now, come back to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Be faithful today and follow as the Holy Spirit leads. The good news is that Jesus is a gift, a free gift, but I can't possibly accept the gift that I don't reach out and receive. God so loved the world, whoever believes in him, you have heard the verses before. He loved the world, whoever believes. That makes it pretty simple, right? He died for all of us, and our choice, our responsibility is to believe in him and make him Lord of our lives, right? Maybe you've just been through a calamity. Maybe you've been through a tough time. Maybe the holidays were difficult because of your family or because of somebody you lost. Maybe you've been hurt in the past. Maybe it was somebody at church. Maybe you're just now realizing You can't do it all on your own. You need Jesus. Make that choice 